Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So if you turn in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 40, we're going to just look at a couple of verses in 40 as we move on into 41 and really to see something of the nature again of Joseph, which in uh, Genesis 40 verse 14, first let's pray, Father, thank you so much again for being our teacher, our guide, for using the scripture, Lord, to guide us in life. We pray that you would open our eyes now in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, but think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. Then you drop down to verse 23. Verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then going on now to the next chapter 41, verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man in Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream. He did interpret And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Okay, so we've been studying here in the life of Joseph. It's very interesting. And Joseph, we've been learning a lot about him, and especially he's a good example for us to follow in life. There's so many areas in his life. But from what we've studied so far in the life of Joseph, if you were just to sort of think in your own mind, two temptations— the key two temptations that Joseph faced in his life, what would you say they would be? What were the two temptations? Pride, okay, pride, okay. 
Bitterness, bitterness. I'll give you. Let me give you a couple verses here. So you tell me what temptation this is from chapter thirty-nine, verse seven. Chapter thirty-nine, verse seven, where it says, "And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me.' What's that temptation? Lust, fornication. See, okay. So here he is. He's a young man. He's unmarried." And all alone in the strange country, and here's this exotic, we don't know what she looked like, Egyptian woman, and she's offering herself to give herself to Joseph. They give a little comfort, a little enjoyment, and so forth. And so Joseph, he overcame this temptation of fornication there because he said to her those golden words in verse nine when he said to her, there's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How? can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So that was a triumph for Joseph. It was a triumph for him over the sin of fornication. He was an overcomer, as it says in 1 John 5, 4. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Okay, now I'll give you another verse now, and again, And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near unto me. This is from Genesis 45, 4. Genesis 45, 4, when he meets again his brothers, and he says to his brethren, okay, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Again, that temptation, you already mentioned it. It's bitterness there, right? It's bitterness. Okay, so here's the two temptations that are facing Joseph in his life, fornication and bitterness, and he had to battle with it. And isn't that interesting that when you think about it today, those are the two temptations that bring believers down, that bring because it says in 1 John, 1 John 2, 16, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh. You mentioned lust, lust of the flesh. And we just live in this kind of world. We live in a world that's of just temptation, of just fornication. We have to constantly be on our guards to not be sexually enticed. That's the world we live in. Many Christians have fallen to this temptation. But the other temptation we face today is the temptation of bitterness. So somebody says, well, that's not gonna get me in the area of sexual realm, then, what, then, then it'll be bitterness. It's one or the other. So he helps us, Joseph helps us to not become bitter. And we saw this especially as he was explaining to the chief butler what happened to him how it happened that he ended up in Egypt. And this is this verse here in verse 15, which is so interesting when he said, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. So Joseph told the chief butler that he was stolen out of the land of the, uh, of the Hebrews. Now, you've got your Bible there, and you, you just you have to turn back. It's very simple. And you look at the whole area around there, Genesis chapter 37, and you look at the top of the page, and it'll say, Joseph is sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. All right? It doesn't say anything about him being stolen away. And it's interesting that he says to the chief butler that he was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. But you know what's even more interesting is the way he said it. He, he says this one little word there. He says the word indeed, <laughs> you know, indeed. What is indeed? What, why do you say indeed? Okay, you know, if Irene's sitting here and she said, and you know, she feels cold, 
you know, she could say, it's cold in the chapel today, or she could say, it's indeed cold. <laughs> okay, so what does indeed do when you say indeed? It emphasizes, it really emphasizes, it drives the point. It's like saying verily, verily, but Irene wouldn't say that. But anyway, but, or truly, you know, or, you know, maybe it's something like, I got to tell you, or, you know, you really got to believe me about this. See, so he uses the word indeed in verse 15 of Genesis 40, because he's saying, for indeed, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrew. He's emphasizing that he was stolen. Now, here's a man who's filled with the spirit. Here's a man who has wisdom. And what is he doing? Saying, indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. He's emphasizing here that he was stolen. So as far as the butler is concerned, he doesn't know anything. He says, okay, that's fine, whatever, you know. And, and, you know, you were stolen. I'm like, sure, I believe you. You know, why shouldn't I believe you? You're just a prisoner like me, you know. There's no need for Joseph to say to this butler, indeed, to emphasize to him. Because the butler doesn't know. You know, he's, he's, he's stolen out of the land of Hebrews. Fine, he's stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. But, but, but for Joseph, when he said, Indeed, you can see that Joseph is struggling here because he, he's not struggling with the butler because, like I say, the butler's got no reason not to believe him. But Joseph is struggling. Who's he struggling with? He's struggling with himself. He's struggling with himself. There's this inner struggle that's going on inside of Joseph when he says, indeed. He's struggling with, a, with the lower nature, with Joseph's lower nature. We've all got it. We've all got the lower nature. That's the nature that wants its own way. That's the nature that rebels against God. That's the nature that says, I will not have God to rule over me. That's the lower nature. Paul calls it the flesh. The flesh. He calls it the flesh in Galatians 5.16. He explains about the flesh. He says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's this fight going on, this struggle. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you're led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, top of the list. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. I'm emphasizing fornication and hatred because now we're chiming on Joseph's issues here variance, emulation, strife, and so forth. It goes on. Okay, so we all have this inner struggle going on with walking in the spirit or walking in the lust of the flesh. And this is what's happening here with Joseph. Inside Joseph, he's struggling with walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. He's struggling with his lower nature. He's struggling with his flesh. What does his flesh want to do? His flesh wants to hate his brothers. His flesh inside of him is saying, Hate your brothers. Go ahead. Now's your chance. Accuse your brothers to this butler. Go ahead. Blame them. Murder them in your heart and with your mouth. And Joseph is trying, he's got this struggle going on. He's trying to walk in the spirit. And so he's saying to his flesh, when he says, indeed, he's saying, no, I will not blame my brothers for what they did to me. I am going to put a spin on this of what happened, and I'm just going to believe that it was those unnamed Midianites that talked my brothers into selling me. They stole me, you know? And, and I mean, it's, I don't know what he was doing. But anyway, <laughs> so he says, indeed, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. We can imagine the butler saying, okay, okay, pal, I believe you already. Okay, you know, you don't have to come on so strong. It's okay. 
But what the butler can't see is Joseph struggling to not hate his brothers. So he's come up with this, give them the benefit of the doubt spin. You know, and it, somehow it was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And we look at Joseph here doing this. And, you know, we look at him, we say, bravo, Joseph. That's great. Good job for not becoming bitter against your brothers. And Joseph is also struggling not to become bitter against Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. And so he doesn't say, he doesn't go into any details about I was falsely accused. You won't believe what a woman that is up there. He doesn't go any of that. His lower nature is saying, Go ahead, Joseph, accuse and hate Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. Now's your chance. Assassinate their character. Just go ahead. Blame them. Murder them in your heart and with your mouth. But here again, we see Joseph doesn't give any details. He just says, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. So here again, he's saying, no. I'm not going to blame Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. I'm just going to say that I just did nothing wrong that I should be put in here. See, this is how Joseph overcame becoming bitter by not yielding to his lower nature who really wanted to take revenge, wanted to hate his brothers, wanted to set the score, settle the score, wanted to set the record straight, all those terms. That's, that's lower nature talk against his brothers, against Potiphar's wife, against Potiphar. So when we see Joseph use the word indeed, we can see he's in a hot struggle, a hot struggle. And I use the word hot because the battle to love and not hate and become bitter becomes a hot fight. As a matter of fact, it's called that in the New Testament in 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8 puts it this way. And above all, have fervent charity, have hot charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So here he is, he's, he, he's in this battle and he uses this. Now, Joseph is doing what it says in, in Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says it this way, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any of you, any man fail or fall as it is, of the grace of God, unless any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator. Interesting that in that part there, it's got those two sins in there linked together of bitterness and fornication, the two temptations again, two greatest dangers that Joseph faced, two greatest dangers, dangers that Christians face. Says looking diligently, again, it's talking about a tough battle to resist this bitterness. So, why did he do this? Because he knew, yes, Joseph could say, I'm in a prison house, and it's terrible here. But you know there's a worse prison? There's a worse prison. It's the prison of bitterness. And I don't want to go into that prison. So he's fighting there. Many, many people today, they're not in a physical penitentiary, but they're in a spiritual prison of bitterness. Dr. Clyde Naramore, he was a, a very famous Christian psychologist, wrote hundreds of books and booklets, wrote the famous one, Psychology for Living, Psychology for Counseling, had a radio program, was the first Christian psychologist in the country to have a radio program, was on the LA psychiatrist for the LA superintendent of schools and so forth. And whenever a new patient would come to him, he would always say to that new patient, before you tell me anything about your problems, just answer one question for me. Who are you mad at? That was what he would do. <laughs> Who are you mad at? <laughs> and the reason is 
is because invariably he found that people's psychological problems stemmed from a root of bitterness. They're mad. So Joseph's struggle, he says, I'm not going to be mad at my, my brothers. He's struggling against bitterness. It's not just when he was in prison. All of his life, he has to do this. It's kind of like dieting. You never diet and lose the weight. You're always struggling. Anyway, and so what he does, what he does later on when, you know, he gets out of the prison and uh, he gets this wonderful wife. She's the priest's daughter. I don't know. But anyway, they have children. Chapter 41 it says, chapter 41, in verse 50, chapter 41, 50, it says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he's named these two sons here. In the name of these sons, we can see that Joseph is continuing to battle against bitterness. Because the first name he gives to Manasseh, it means forgetting, forgetting. And he says he called them that because God made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. So that means if you came to Joseph and you said, what do you mean you were stolen? Don't you remember what really happened? Don't you remember how your brothers envied you and they hated you? Don't you remember how your brothers tried to kill you? How they stripped you of your coat and how they hurled you into this waterless pit in the desert to die of thirst? And how you cried out to them? Don't you remember how they sold you as a slave? And you know what Joseph would say? Joseph would say, you know, I really can't remember any of that. <laughs> he would have said, and if you pushed him, you said, look, Joseph, look, Joseph. You know what he would do? He would go grab his son. He would say, Manasseh, Manasseh. <laughs> He'd say, forgetting, forgetting. You know, I really forgotten about all that. And so he names his son Manasseh. When he says that, he's making a deliberate decision to go on in life and forget about the wrong. And then if you said, okay, Manasseh, you forgot about all the wrong that was done to you. Now, what do you remember? What do you remember? That's what Joseph would hold up his other son. Where is that little guy? Here he is. Holding up there, he'd say, Ephraim, Ephraim. He said, fruitful, fruitful. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So with the naming of the second son, Ephraim, Joseph has actually brought himself to be thankful to his brother's for being responsible to send them into Egypt. Because if he never got to Egypt, then he never would have been Ephraim. He never would have been so, so fruitful. And this is what Joseph told his brothers in, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So rather than to focus on the evil that they meant against him, Joseph, and dwell on that, Joseph chose to sit back and say, you know what, I'm just going to think about all the good that God made to happen to me. So, and then Joseph further is going to say to his brothers in Genesis 45, 5, Genesis 45, 5, he said, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years have the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither 
earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So what we see Joseph doing here is he's resisting becoming bitter by seeing God's hand working through his brothers to the point where Joseph now tells his brothers, you didn't send me to Egypt, God sent me to Egypt. And he's just let that thought just overcome him, overwhelm him, so to speak, and, and fill all his vision, and he just didn't have room to be bitter and angry at them. Okay, now, verse one now, chapter 41. So now we come to Pharaoh's dream, where we read in verse one. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. So now, Pharaoh is standing by the river. You don't have to say which river this is. (laughs) There's only one river, right? The word Nile does not appear in the Bible, okay? It's the river, you know. Egypt is such a remarkable country because Egypt has life. It has so much agriculture, and it's it's a place of food and prosperity, but it's surrounded by deserts of death. I mean, if you look at Egypt, you know, you know, to the east, you've got the Sinai Desert, you know, and to the west, you've got the Sahara Desert, and then down the south, you've got the Kalahari Desert. So it's just right in the middle of these deserts of death. And yet this river just, it irrigates Egypt, and it's so fruitful. The snow in the highlands, the snow in the highlands, along with the torrential rains, which fall in Ethiopia, which fall in Sudan, then form the Blue and the White Nile, and then they flow in there, and they bring with them, when you look at that, up, especially in the northern part of Ethiopia around Gondar, where it starts up there, and you look at the water that's flowing there, it's like red. It's red. Why is it red? Because it's carrying with it a suspension of fine red soil that is collected all along the way as it's traveled. It's remarkable. Now, if the Nile does not overflow its banks, then the crops in Egypt fail. And so for Pharaoh, when he's standing there by the river, it's more than just a river. It's the life of Egypt. It's the condition of Egypt. And he sees himself standing there. And so then he's got his, you know, he sees himself in the dream. He's got his attention. Then he sees cattle coming out of the river. Now that would be a shocking sight. <laughs> cattle don't, cattle can't live underwater. or eat underwater, but they come out of the water. Okay, cattle were very important in Egypt. The bull was Israel's idol or Israel's symbol for the Nile River, and they called that Osiris, Osiris. And they believed that that's who gave them agriculture, that false god. And the cow, the cow, it was Egypt's symbol for their god, Osiris, and that was, they believed that that made the earth fertile from agriculture. They're very important symbols, the cow and the bull. And so what Pharaoh is seeing now in his dream is the river that his country is totally dependent on, and out of this river comes the symbol for agriculture and fertility, the soil fertility. So for us, the dream may not have meant that much. Well, I think it would have caught our attention, but anyway, for him, it meant a whole lot to do because it was all about Egypt's survival, all about Egypt's survival through agriculture. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.